1: Welcome for Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. And today's episode we have a guest all the way from Newark, Delaware, uh, Matthew Saponaro. And he's doing a PhD in in Delaware, University of Delaware. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks, Ali. Yeah. And so your PhD is about artificial intelligence, which sounds really really interesting. Could you tell us more about your work?
2: Right? So I'm, uh, I'm a computer science person that has been twisted very heavily into the um, behavior, health and nutrition. Um, So essentially, what I'm trying to do is I'm wanting to provide adaptive real time coaching um, to individuals. So I'd like to, for example, um, have a Fitbit And have the Fitbit provide very tailored feedback specific to that person. And so I'm developing the machine learning algorithms that can able to learn, learn that type of um, behavior and type of coaching strategy on the individual level. And so one of the ideas is that in when we apply this machine learning algorithm, we need some training. We need to train the, Mm -hmm. we need to train the AI. And that requires data and in the human learning world so for example if I was to learn your behavior the (laughs) training data is very expensive and so for example I want to nudge a person to get up and do a physical activity so on a Fitbit that would be a vibration and a message saying hey get up and you know make your 250 steps by the end of the hour and (laughs) then I will observe whether you actually get up or not and increase your step count after the result of that nudge. Now, mm-hmm. I only have certain amount of times in a day that I can be able to do that. You know, suppose that there's 16 waking hours in each day. So that means that there's 16 data points that I can collect each day on you specifically. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is is that, if I'm sending at the, at the hour level, right? The other thing is that, um, I don't necessarily want to annoy my user too much by sending like bad intervention times. If I send a message every single hour, right? That may be annoying to its user. So I don't, if I, if I keep learning too much, then that's, Negatively seen by the user and I run the risk of being thrown into a jewelry if I'm, if I'm the smartwatch. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my, my, yeah. my uh, AI, what it essentially does is it tries to reuse information from other people in order to train the machine learning algorithm, but it needs to try to re- maintain relevancy to the individual while also providing individualized um, feedback.
1: Hmm. All right. That's that sounds really really interesting. So, so basically, you give real time. You gave one example about collecting steps. What what other kind of things you you could give us an as an interesting examples?
2: So you know, with with all the Internet of Health things that are coming around, we can. There's so many different sensors that we have just readily available that we're actively collecting. You can collect things like your location from your phone, your calendar from your phone, right? You can, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a wearable device, you can include things like accelerometer data. You can include your heart rate data. You can include steps. You can include what type of activity is being done based on those previous data points. You can estimate intensity levels or caloric expenditure. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have any type of, like, because... We're getting all this fancy technology now, like I've seen like Nokia, particularly, they have these scales um, that you can just step on every single morning and it'll send your weight measurements to your phone, or you can take your blood pressure monitors. So you can include all these different things. And finally, you can get things like online about today's date. So for example, mm-hmm. you can get the weather you can get whether there was any interesting things that happened in the stock market. Maybe the stock market affects your mood if you're investing in stocks, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, that's that's really interesting. Like, so basically, you could actually see the calendar. There's a, there's for example a meeting coming, and it's it's marked as a two hour meeting. So you could actually check that the weather is good. So there's sunny outside and and you could not the person to go for a 10 minute walk before the long meeting, which is actually important to be in a good, good mental state.
2: Right, right. A lot of these things, particularly with meetings, they're, some of them are very recurrent uh, events. Um, so they mm. happen again and again, and they're very predictable. Some of the types of things that we're looking at is very like one time things, Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, w- one of the analysis that we're doing is trying to, um, so we actually imported our calendar data and we were trying to analyze whether things were recurrent or not. And we had our, our participants label whether they were recurrent and we're, we're using mm-hmm. that in our machine learning algorithm.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, how, how, how was your day? How how. Similar, the days were in in your calendar, for example.
2: So, I'm a very bad person to ask these types of research questions because, for me particularly, I don't wear a Fitbit and I don't include stuff in my phone. But, 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 for the things that I've seen from other people's data that I've collected, actually, there's a really strong predictability um among people. So. What I found, so we did a previous study and in order for us to prepare for this machine learning algorithm, we, we analyzed two things. We analyzed whether a person's schedule was predictable and whether the person mm. shared similarities across other individuals. And mm. we, it was very, very interesting. Um, because we, we, when we looked at similarity across the individuals, we didn't have any types of, We, we weren't looking for anything particularly, but what we found out was that when we measured, looked at the students that we measured, when we looked at the faculty, when we looked at the full-time employees, we saw clusters of behavior profiles. And so that, that really helped to show that people are, many people share similar habits at a very high level perspective. Um, and also, we were getting pretty strong predictability ratings as well uh, particularly um it was our, i i was not thinking from like our students or faculty um but they were pretty predictable particularly the faculty that we we had in our study
0: mm,
1: no that's that's really interesting i'm i'm thinking like for example that if you if you go to uh, some exercise training and basically the AI or your calendar knows what times you have chances to go. And then you can have business trips there. You can have a longer meetings that go, go over it. So it could actually kind of guide you that, all right, did you notice that on Thursdays and Fridays, you cannot attend that, that one which you normally go to? So maybe take the Tuesday and, and Monday ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and are you are you looking more to increase the um, everyday activity of the person or kind of more like exercise behavior?
2: Right now, I, I may have misled. So right now, I'm trying to just reduce the sedentary behavior. So there's there's two sides of the world. There's mm. reducing the sedentary behavior and increasing the physical activity levels. And mm. I'm, I'm just trying to reduce sedentary behavior at this point. So when I like, so I'm just trying to get people to not sit as much as they do.
1: Mm, now, that's, that's a really, really good one. And I think it, it probably works very well. So, so on, on practical level, what is your, you have developed an algorithm, do I understand correct? Yeah. So what, what does it do at the moment? How, how far are you with this, this thing?
2: right so the the algorithms um been published over at uh the advance uh okay i i don't know what the conference name is it's called triple ai it's the ai conference
1: i i I do know it yeah yeah (laughs)
2: that's terrible i think it's like the advancement of autonomous and artificial intelligence
1: something like that yeah yeah, uh, maybe, maybe you need to make a machine learning to simplify the abbreviation of that one and find a good good option. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the, um, the, the, the algorithm has been published in, in a conference, um, the preliminary, the preliminary algorithm. Um, it, and essentially, the idea is that um, we compare, we have a bunch of default policies, uh, default coaching strategies, and actually, what we do is we try for each per- person, we try each and each one of these, and over time, the more res- the more positive feedback that we get from the person, meaning the more physical, you know, le- least amount of uh, sedentary behavior then hmm. we we prefer that coaching strategy more and we probabilistically choose each one of those that's called um policy reuse um and All right. my algorithm actually takes it a step further um so in the, the previously it talks about you know a person's coaching strategy what i do is i segment the coaching strategy into different parts And so I identify the different parts that may be uh, relevant amongst the population. And I reuse parts of those policies and it's called partial Mm. policy reuse.
1: All right. So, So basically the positive feedback is that if the sedentary behavior actually decreased and you're kind of upvoting those strategies, is that correct? All right and and so what what kind of yeah sorry
2: in the meantime of it updating those strategies it's also adapting the strategy so it also has its own strategy like and it's this owns the personalized strategy is very um it's run offline at at the very Mm. beginning and as more data is collected it starts using that personal strategy more and more and the right. idea is is that as you collect more data the personalized strategy will become better and so the idea is, is that while we're executing these other strategies we're actually training our own personal strategy and individualizing it for that part- particular person
1: all right sounds, sounds really interesting Okay, let's get back to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers.
1: And, and I wanted to ask about the actions like, so there's some actions or strategies that possibly decrease the sedentary behavior of an individual. So what kind of things you have? What kind of things it's, it's uh, encouraging person to do?
2: From a compu- compute- computational perspective, this problem is very, very challenging. Because there's mm-hmm. lots of different variables and it just ex- it explodes because there's just way too much going on. So one of the simplifications I've made for this particular, for that particular publication is the when. So we have a when to send a nudge. We also have the what to send a nudge. And we also have the, the where and all that good stuff, right? Where is more Hmm. incorporated into the, the when in my algorithm. Um, and for now, I'm just looking at what times would people be receptive to receive a message? So the messages that I'm I'm particularly sending is um, there, there's two sets of messages. There's the mm. positive feedback messages and then the negative feedback messages. So the positive feedback messages is like, um, you know, hey, get up, get up and take a short walk. Um, it'll improve your cardiovascular health. Right? Mm. The negative feedback messages are like, hey. If you don't, if you don't walk more, then you are going to be X amount likely for a heart attack later. So it's you get Mm. this, you get what? Because I read some papers that are like, um, there's messages that people respond differently to different types of messages. So I was looking (laughs) at okay, if I just have these two sets of messages, the positive messages and the negative messages, what types of people? would prefer with different, you know, different of these messages.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Alright. I, I, I see. Although although both of them are kind of pushing to do, the other one could be that when they have actually taken some steps, it would it would say that, whoa, that was actually good to you. Do you know that this did this and that for your body? Yeah. No, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. So so, have do do you see a pattern that does the positive work better or the negative, or how is the division between individuals? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's very very interesting and. So now you kind of either threatening with the, with the disease or, or encouraging with the improved health, basically cardiovascular fitness. Yeah. I think for many people, it's, it's rather difficult to, if you say them, say them that if you do not do this, you might get the diabetes in 20 years. But you know, people, they're busy in their daily life. What happens in 20 years, it doesn't make a big difference now. And especially if it's just that you might get. I think that's the problem why many people don't do physical activity or they're too sedentary because it's, yeah, you need to do the things today. That's important this week. And, and something in 20 years is, is maybe not their priority. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you can also try different kind of, kind of messaging that, that could, I don't know how it could relate more to something more close in the future. You know, that maybe you, if you encourage to do something and, and say that you will feel right away more energetic or, or something, if that would be more work better.
2: Right. So I was walk, w- working with um, some, some of my coworkers, and we, we've been primarily s- stuck in the office and we've been, you know, sitting down all day for like eight hours. I'm, mm. a, I'm a sedentary behavior researcher and I'm sitting down for eight hours. What?
1: You need to experience it to be able to help.
2: <laughs> and one of the conversations that we were going, because I, I talk a lot about, you know, you know, the health impacts of sitting down and how we shouldn't be doing it. And one of the things that my coworker said to me was that, um, if, if he feel if he gets up and walks around a little bit, he has a little bit more energy than if he were to sit down all day. So if he sits down all day, then he gets up, he feels very tired to stand. So I think maybe there's something along that lines in order to improve, improve the short term. You know, people want to have more, uh, more energy they want to be more happier you know things like that we can try to say say hey your mood will be much better if you just take a small stand standing break
1: yeah yeah i, I think that makes sense yeah so did your colleague say actually that if he's standing he gets tired but if he walks he gets more energetic
2: so if he sits all day and then stands he's very he's very tired to stand up Mm. But if he takes these small breaks and then stands, you know he, he doesn't feel as tired.
1: Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, and and what is your? Do you try to commercialize this this solution, or what is your? Where do you aim?
2: So right now I'm in the process of starting a um, a, a startup, <laughs> and All right. the startup name is called AI Woo. And the, the idea is to take this, this dissertation product and start commercializing it. And so some of the ways that I need, what I'm trying to do right now is to start tailoring to the general population. So the, in, you know, in the research world, we make all these different assumptions and we assume mm-hmm. that we have all this data and then we pay people for that data, right? So over, over in the United States. So the idea is that. Um, we we have the application that I have right now. It's a battery drainer that it because mm-hmm. it records the GPS location and it doesn't use the built-in uh, you know the GPS that that help the Apple provides and mm-hmm. it it requires the user to constantly check in and check in and not. So a lot of these things have a very bad user experience. So the next thing is for me to start you know, improving the application in order to release it to the population. And I, I'm working on trying to integrate this with um, some of the health programs that, that I've been coming across.
1: Mm. And, and with the, can you actually do it now by yourself without, without collaborating with the Fitbit to do it that it actually works with the Fitbit or how, how is the stage?
2: So right now, so Fitbit provides, um, t- so pr- Fitbit provides access th- to the developers um, wow. on a daily level or an intraday level, and hmm. we can get access on the intraday level. Um, you just need to r- fill out a form, and they'll say, "Okay, we'll give you access to that data." Um, then you just connect via blue your the Fitbit device will connect to your phone via Bluetooth and when it connects to your phone it sends a message to their servers and from my perspective I just pull the data from the Fitbit servers and so that, that's actually what I'm doing right now.
1: Yeah that's that's very interesting. I think there's probably a lot of researchers who who would like to test that in their interventions. There's, there's a lot of Fitbits out there and if they can just by by installing an application get that kind of notching i'm i'm pretty sure there will be a lot of lot of interest for this
2: so uh, part of my um my business i've kind of i'm working on this data collection data analytics platform and one of the interesting things is that it it's trying to abstract out the device like where the data is coming from and so I'm, I'm trying to now integrate um, from Fitbit to Apple Watch, to the Garmin devices, to any type of data that I can put into a particular format and include in my system. And so I'm actually trying to, um, through my smart coach system, I have the business side of things that are trying to, you know, provide, push it into the health, ca- health pro- pro- programs. The other side of things is going to be a commercialized app. And the idea is that I'm providing a smart coach service to the users. And I would like to start collaborating with researchers and provide researchers the data that I'm working with. And maybe the researchers um, can also, you know, pr- help pr- improve the smart coaching system or s- include some of their research to communicate with the individuals to help see how they respond as well
1: mm, yeah yeah and and could you could you share your email already in the stage of, of the podcast so if somebody interested doing collaboration how to reach you
2: sure it's matt sap at aiwu.com so m-a-t-t-s-a-p at aiwho
1: all right, great. So if, if you're interested, please, please be in contact with Matt. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking So there's there's an application and, and how do you see to, to, to move on with your startup idea? You are you're finishing your PhD soon. And
2: so I, I've been going back and forth for, with my advisor for, well, for, for a while now. And, um, I, I sent him an email, I got an email saying, Hey, you should enroll into uh, fall semester classes. Um, and my, I forwarded that email to my advisor and say, Hey, do I need to do this? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I don't think so. You should be graduated by then. So I, I should be graduating by end of summer. Um, All Right. right. And right now I'm actually being funded through uh, the National Science Foundation, NSF, um, in order to start taking this dissertation to do my customer discovery interviews um, and more particularly try to figure out what the product is. And I've done lots and lots of interviews already. I've done 20 plus interviews. Um, And now the next steps is there's another grant from NSF that I'm going to be applying that's going to continue to funds the um, the startup.
1: All right. That's nice. And and I, I don't know if many of the listeners know NSF and how, how it works. So can you give a short idea how, how to apply for funding and how to how to secure it?
2: Right. So nsf.gov is the National Science Foundation's uh, the website. And essentially they'll have all these different lists of things that you can apply to. I would probably I would search through um search through the the search bar at the top. Um if you're a startup company, you'd probably want to search for the small business innovation research um proposal. Uh but mm-hmm. for the researchers, whatever is in your field, they have very specific proposals in each of the different fields. Um you have to write a proposal with your your introductions, your motivations. Why are you qualified for what you're saying you're doing? What you actually are going to do. Um, you have to provide a schedule. It's it's pretty in depth. Um, they can go from anywhere between like. So, the this one I've written is a very very the, the first steps in the iCorp site. It's a very very small proposal. It's like a three page mm-hmm. proposal. the The other grants proposals they range from um you know like 40 pages and they can go up into like the multi-million dollar ranges or they can be as small as um just a few thousand dollars
1: (laughs) Mm, all right so you you climbing up the ladder to the
2: all on the smaller side i'll work my way up all
1: right Uh, that that sounds good yeah and how how competitive are these these grants like in nsf
2: so NSF NIH so uh, NIH is the National Institute of Health and they follow the same types of patterns as the NSF um and it's it's pretty it's pretty competitive um I'm not sure what the acceptance rates are but I I would assume it's like lower than 20% I would assume I would assume
1: mhm all right yeah yeah all right that's interesting and and you're finishing your phd quite soon what what kind of publications will you will you include in your work
2: so my i've already written a um the the last step for me to graduate and i've already written everything except for um a small portion in my uh, results section and i'm going to be trying to publish in the journal of medical innovations research jmir Um, and essentially what it's going to be including is the, uh, one of the studies for the, the, the tailored individualized coaching strategy. So I'm going to analyze Mm -hmm. things about how adaptive is the coach to the individual? What's the differences between the behavior at the very beginning of the study with the behaviors at the very end of the study in order to measure, okay, did the person actually improve in sedentary behavior? I'm also going to be looking at things like are there specific populations that this coach is more effective on or not effective on? Um, And it's essentially going to be applying this uh, smart coach um, algorithm to a real population.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right yeah that's interesting and are are you are you testing it in a free living condition so how do you do the testing
2: right this all this work is in free living conditions so I am strapping up um, I think 60 people with with Fitbits and installing the mobile application on their phone and letting them go and they'll be responding they'll be getting messages throughout the week uh, throughout the day and they have to evaluate the messages, say, hey, was this, a good, was this a good message that helped you to improve your sedentary behavior?
0: Let's have a short break and hear a few words from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com/research. Fibian from researchers to researchers
1: and and then are are you tracking the outcome with the with the same fitbit that whether it was a positive or negative strategy yeah
2: there's two things that I'm measuring there's the first thing is the the physical response so whether mm. the whether the sedentary behavior decreased via the fitbit the second mm. thing is the perceived um perceived receptiveness of the coach. So did the participant feel that that coach was a good coach? And because what I, I think is very important is in the very beginning, right? Um, people have, there. there's a learning model for people. There's the reactive behavior and then there's the habitual behavior. And so mm. one of the things that we want to do is to improve the um, perceived the, perce- the perception of the coach in order to improve the habits mm, yeah makes makes sense uh
1: so do you think there's some mismatch that some some things work that people actually do it but don't like the coaching or how, how does it go I
2: think so i think and you may get these like scenarios where it's like if you know i'll, I'll be you know it's telling me to do this work but I don't really think it's a good time, you know, but okay, I'll do it. Like there's a little bit of hesitant.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So w- one of the papers is this tailored coaching and how how well it works. Do you have some other publications already published or on the line?
2: Right. So we there's one, there's one publication over in the connected health Applications systems and engineering conference.
0: <laughs>
1: mm yeah uh, i'm still trying to understand it yeah
2: that that was a really um that that was one of the local conferences they're we trying to improve the uh the gap between the the researchers and the the behavioral health and the the computer science cuz one of the things that we found is that like there's if you look at the like the knowledge and you imagine that they're like towers you have the behavior health tower, which is right here, and then you have the computer science tower, which is over here, but there's this huge gap in between, so it's trying to link the two worlds together.
1: Mm, all right. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Very
1: interesting. Yeah, go on.
2: So I have another paper from uh, Pam, I think. Yeah. And that that more that's not for the coaching component. That's more of analyzing the um, agreement. So in the previous study, what we did was we looked at the Fitbit versus Actigraph, the wrist worn Fitbit and the wrist worn Actigraph, and we <clears throat> and the polar heart rate and the heart rate coming from the the Fitbit, and we were measuring the agreement between the two the the devices.
1: Hmm. So how how did it look the so did you measure the polar heart rate also from the wrist or from the chest?
2: Both uh, from the the polar heart rate was from the chest.
1: All right. And yeah,
2: Fitbit was on the wrist.
1: Yeah. And how how did it look?
2: So one of the interesting things was that in so Fitbit, the, the main key concept is that the Fitbit underestimates the levels of heart the, the heart rate levels. It mm. underestimates the heart rate levels. And the other thing is that there's more disagreement in the first five minutes of activity and the last five minutes of the activity. So we measured what essentially the study was to look at, um, you know, different exercises. So we looked at people running, walking, biking, lifting weights, um, a whole variety of suites. And we mm. found that there was a large disagreement in the beginning. And what we think is the issue is that the way that Fitbit measures the heart rate. So it uses like photoplethysmography. It's a very, very big word. <laughs> Essentially, there's yeah. a green light and it's emitting into your wrist and it's measuring the amount of blood flow that's coming through. And we think that it takes some time for, in order for the the blood to start getting up to this rate, um, in mm. in order for it to you know be more accurate. <laughs> the-
1: yeah. So, so is it is it actually measuring the amount of of blood, or does it try to see from from the kind of the pulse that when did the heart beat? I, I I don't know fully how how, how it works. Do you?
2: I, I thought it, it was so it emits a light and re- it detects how much light is coming back. And if mm-hmm. there's more blood, then it would emit less light, I think. I, I think. don't quote me. <clears throat> mm,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, it makes sense. and And did you had like uh, did you take into account like different skin colors? Because I think it might work differently between depending on the skin color.
2: We did not. That's actually All a right. very good. That's a very good point.
1: Yeah, and and I'm I'm living now in Finland, and it is it is very cold here in the winter, and I think there's the the veins actually constrict when it's colder to to preserve your heat. So what I have noticed sometimes when I test the wrist wrist worn heart rate monitors that maybe they underestimate more when it's it's a cold weather and I'm, I'm not sure i haven't i haven't tested it like systemat- systematically but i think there might be so it might be some some skin color things temperature things that that affect it but yeah anyway i think it gives an idea of the heart rate at least
2: right 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 yeah i think so one of the things that I'm really wanting to consider about is that, from a researcher's perspective, it's very good for us to have an accurate measure of heart rate. You can imagine that there's scenarios like, so one of the studies that we're we're actively looking on right now is the um, the pre-hypertension in adults. And you can imagine that if you prescribe saying get into your target heart rate of X amount and people with prehypertension, they, the device is telling them this amount, but their heart rate is actually this amount. That can actually <clears> increase the risk of like, you know, any type of, you know, heart attack. And yeah, so one of the things that I, I'm considering right now is that One, could we adjust? And that's always, you know, adjust the heart rate that's FIPIT's telling the individual based on the, you know, the activity detection of what we're doing. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: The other thing is, is that I understand that we want to be able to prescribe particular health, you know, outcomes using these this heart rate and target zone. But unless a professional were to tell the person to get into that rate, would the general population understand what it means to be of this particular zone? Like, so one of the things that we were, we were debating back was we were trying to measure the minutes spent in sedentary light, moderate and vigorous. Mm. And we wanted to set, we, one of the questions that we wanted to ask was participants, how many minutes of moderate to vigorous activity do you have? And then we thought about it and we, we were thinking like, okay, our participants probably wouldn't understand that. So mm-hmm. what types of messages can we give in order for it to be meaningful to the layperson? And mm-hmm. so if the hurry is off just a little bit, does that affect what the layperson can understand? Mm. Or maybe yeah. we can say, okay, let's not look at heart rate, but maybe look at this other measure that summarizes the general, you know, what they're doing.
1: All right, yeah, yeah. And, and your algorithm, was it looking like the steps and the heart rate or what variables that Fitbit is giving it was kind of looking and considering?
2: Right, right, right. So we were considering all of the variables. So we were considering steps heart rate, the, the intensity estimates that the, the food the Fitbit was given. Mm. Um, when we evaluated, we used uh, the sip, the, the intensity level and the steps. Mm. We also but one of the things when we looked at heart rate, what we did was we normalized so we looked at heart rate reserve instead, we didn't look at pure mm. heart rate. So we looked at Mm. what percentage that they were with respect to their maximum and minimum resting heart rates
1: all right and yeah probably you can see that if they are about there in the moderate vigorous intensity activity you will see that some things are on the baseline and then some things are are somewhat somewhat there yeah and no, that's that's very interesting and and you had Fitbit and Acticraft and Polar, and you compared the to Acticraft to Fitbit, or how, how how was the comparison in that one? Uh,
2: so in that that's a separate study, but so when we compared the um, the step count and the heart rate from the uh, the Polar and the Fitbit, right? So the <laughs> Polar the Polar heart rate and the Fitbit heart rate, and the the. Actigraph accelerometer, uh, accelerometer, and the Fitbit accelerometer, mm. and so we we the we use the default algorithms that were provided in the Actigraph to get the step counts per on the minute level, um, and then we summarized on different levels. Say for example, the hour, um, right? We looked at the hour level. Um, oh wait, that's in a different study. <laughs> All right, yeah specific bouts of activity um and for, on those specific bouts we looked at the total the, the totals then we looked at the um the totals in each of the different um bins like the the intensity level of bins so whether it was sedentary light thought mid light moderate or vigorous <laughs>
1: hmm. all right yeah that's that's interesting yeah and, and how is it like a little bit on, off topic from, from the previous discussion, but did your participant feel sometimes that you kind of know too much of, of their information like surveillance or how, how do they respond?
2: Right. So, well, for the Fitbit and the Actograph study, that was a total invasion of privacy. I think everyone knew that <laughs> because everyone who left their lab felt like so. This was free living condition. Everyone who left their lab felt made a comment about they felt like a robot or something like that because they were they were strapped up here. They were strapped, They had two devices. Sometimes they had a, a watch on their other hand. Oh, they had a watch on their dominant hand, and then they wore two different. Um, uh, they wore Fitbit and then the Actigraph
1: yeah yeah and yeah and how, how do you think this will go when you when you try to commercialize this it is quite a lot of private information and there's there's a stricter regulations now in in europe and i i guess also in the u.s so how, how do you see to get get over these obstacles or
2: so the perception the perception is is definitely split some people are like, I don't want anything to. I don't want anyone to know anything about me. I'm not going to get a Fitbit because I don't want them to monitor my my activity. I don't want them. They they say I keep my phone in airplane mode, and then there's the others that are like, eh, whatever. If it helps me, it helps me. And then there's people mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, great. Um, so. I'm noticing it's like a 40-60% split about the people that want you know the want the want the monitoring and the people that don't want the monitoring so 40 meaning the people that don't want the monitoring and it's ironic because i just had a friend who um he he was the person that was like oh i'm gonna have everything in airplane mode um and now he's wearing fitbits and collecting all his data he's like i'm giving up it's all everywhere anyways (laughs) right
1: yeah no yeah I, i think that's that's really interesting like you know humankind have never been in this situation before so maybe in 20 years we're thinking like whoa how stupid people were they were giving all this data or it is like whoa they were afraid that you cannot give this data it's it's there anyway and and like what can you do with somebody's like if you know that i i went to lunch for that place so so what it's like so we don't know how it will go
2: Right. I think for, for the time being, generally, my conversations with people that are afraid or something, I, I show them like I open. I have them open up their phone and then I say to them, open up your because on iPhones, everyone has a health app and in your health app, it already tells you how many steps you've traveled that day. How many what's the distance you've traveled? Things like that. And it's like it already has your information. It's okay. Yeah. Just give it to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's true. And, and then about AI and machine learning, I think this could have been in the beginning of the podcast, but what, what is the difference between AI and machine learning and what is the subcategory of
2: which so AI is the whole entire field of artificial intelligence. Machine learning is a subfield of the AI. And essentially machine learning is only involved with the analysis of patterns inside of the data. So right. it's trying to find trends and patterns given a data set. But for AI, you have lots of different other things. You have things that are like, can you, can you structure You know, can you structure the data in a particular way in order for you to communicate? Can you formalize some languages? Um, it's more, it's a lot about the structure of things. Um, it includes things like searching, um, not necessarily for, you know, finding patterns in the data. You can imagine that if you put a robot just in your house, for example, and it it is trying to figure out where is the dust? right it's running a search mm. algorithm so that falls under the the ide- the broader spectrum of ai
1: mm. all right so the machine learning is, is is looking for patterns so basically your algorithm is is machine learning but when it gives actually those messages and responds to those does it go more to ai or how would you say right.
2: so uh- the the when I look at the people's data and I try to find okay what type of person does this be, what type of behavior profile does this person fit that that's more of the machine learning side and then when I start looking at okay can I build this you know structure that maps between different pro, behavior profiles and finds you know that that like R- relates the differences between them. Um, that that more is the AI side of things.
1: Mm, yeah, and and when you when you talk about your startup, do you need to mention AI to be in a better position with the with the investors that, rather than machine learning?
2: Right. I, <laughs> I, I think so. I want to look focus more on the the AI side of things. Um, but I I have, I do all the data analytics, all that good stuff. Um, I'll, I'll give you a funny story. So my son at the time was, uh, four months old and I was trying to figure out what is the, you know, what's, what's the startup name. And he, he comes up to me, well, he doesn't, he doesn't walk at this time. Um, so he's sitting right next to me and like, he hears me and I'm like, ah, Alan, what should, what should the company name be? Like, I've gone through all these different possibilities. I've created like a list of like a hundred names and he goes, I woo. So, okay, done deal. Have to listen to the kid. <laughs>
1: all right. That's, that's a good story for a name. And I, I think the most important question of this podcast is that you are developing artificial intelligence. So, when is your algorithm going to take over the world and slave all the humankind?
2: I mean, we have that in uh, perspective uh, for uh, 2024, you know?
1: all right so soon so so everyone the end is coming
2: the advancement of ai follows this exponential pattern so we have this this one that analyzes behavior so next time you know we're gonna look at the credit card patterns you know next year we're gonna look at you know who are all your friends and what their patterns are (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah all right sounds good i think I think there's nothing to ask anymore. I think I think. You don't this want to is...
2: tell me because I'm not because I'm gonna enslave the world. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I I know I know. No, I I think it's been it's been really interesting discussions, and I think there will be probably a lo- lot of people interested in collaboration. I would also guess that many companies are interested of your your algorithms, as it. As it really brings kind of a new depth for the activity trackers and I think quite many people who use Fitbits and others they have kind of get bored of it you know first you thrill that it measures steps and then after three weeks it's still measuring steps and it doesn't give you too much but if it's actually start to guide you in personalized way and it actually improves that after using it two months, it's actually a better Fitbit than what it was. I think it's, it's, it's brilliant. So thanks a lot for for being a guest. And I, I hope you can visit our our podcast also another time.
2: Thank you, Ali. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a really excellent conversation.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibion at Fibion.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher Podcast has created an Activity Tracker Purchase Guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.